Hey, everybody. Before we start the show, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor for this episode. Once again, today's episode is sponsored by Trailer Bits. Trailer Bits is a cybersecurity firm spending its time making sure you're writing smart, secure, and efficient code. We've previously talked about some of their tooling that they use, such as Slither, uh, the conferences they put on for to educate people, as well as the blogs they put out to make sure that you're up to date on what's currently working, how to use Slither products, and um, what to look out for when you're trying to build products. Today's uh, episode, we want to tell you about uh, a new feature that they're building, which will be releasing in the next coming weeks, called Critic. That's C-R-Y-T-I-C. Uh, Critic is going to be a continuous assurance for smart contracts. And that is a, a GitHub integration. Every time you deploy or a commit to a GitHub repo that has smart contracts in it, uh, Critic will run a suite of security analysis tools so you get immediate security feedback. That means that as you're doing your development, you're getting immediate feedback without having to set up anything. You just commit your contract as you're current, doing current developments and you'll get uh, results without having to set anything up. That's a big boon from my experience in doing smart contract development because it's really hard to figure out how to set up all of the different smart contract analysis tools uh, and make sure that your environment's set up properly. Uh, it's much better to just integrate something into your GitHub commit and then get immediate results. If you're interested in this, uh, which you should be if you're doing smart contract development, go to critic.io, that's C-R-Y-T-I-C.io. Enjoy the show. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is the perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk. Fresh meat. Come on, buddy. So they put us through the turnstiles and turned us loose inside. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dose of Ether. This is your host, Lucian, and this week I'm joined by Colin Couchet. Say Damn. hello, Colin. Yeah, hello, Colin. Damn, Lucian, dude, you got a smooth, silky voice, man. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like NPR style. Like, hello and welcome to another cup of tea with Lucian. Like, this is super, super smooth. Like, our show is kind of like bombastic and stuff. You're so like, ah. Do you just hear me turn it on just for the podcast? Like, as I'm soon pretty as turned we start, on right now, like... actually. Man. I was going to say, like, <laughs> it did it for me. It did it for me. But yeah, no, um, no. So, yeah, I'm here. It'll be fun. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I mean, uh, this is, this is kind of like your, your show now, but I'd like to be on a lot more often to kind of um, give a second perspective, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, format's the same and things are still going the way they normally are. Right. Yep. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, thanks for joining me keeping no me honest now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're going to ask enough oh, don't questions worry, I'll lie. to uncover. You'll be the one keeping me honest. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to slowly uncover the fact that I didn't read the full article that I'm linking in the show notes. Damn it. <laughs> uh, don't, don't worry. Uh, nobody will know. Um, so yeah, speaking of the article, what is the article we're going over today? Uh, today we're going to talk about metatransactions, um, metatransactions in general, and basically to explain a metatransaction, I should first explain why we need it. And why we need it is because every time you log into a decentralized application, first of all, you need something like MetaMask installed, 
But not just that, you also need your MetaMask account loaded up with Ether. So then you have to go to a Coinbase or Gemini and you have to give them your bank account information, a picture of your driver's license. You got to wait about a week. You got to pass all this KYC. And then you come back to that decentralized application that you forgot about by this point. Yeah, grandma ain't going to do that. She's got Alzheimer's. She's going to forget all that that login stuff. And like a week later, it's going to be like, where did all that go? Like, there's no way. Yeah. It's a UX problem. It's a UX problem. And um, it's a UX problem that is eventually going to be brushed under the hood. And the question is, is how do we do that without losing the integrity of the system? Mm-hmm. If you have a username and password on a decentralized application, you have failed. <laughs> it's like, uh, there's no argument there. Yeah, you right? just sign. Like, I mean, you got the key right there. It's like you're holding your own like login information, like the whole thing's right there. So you just need to sign transactions. That's all right. you're trying to do at the end. And then you yeah. got to pay gas to do that. But that's the problem is that there's this chicken and egg problem. Yeah. How do I get the gas to sign the transaction and commit it to the network? If I want, if I want to participate in the network, like I have to already know what this stuff is, and like, you know, it's just, it's just a huge barrier. I agree. Like, so, yeah. so now there's um, a new design mechanism, and um, it's been seen in something like the XDAI chain combined with the burner wallet um, that has been demoed by Austin Griffith at a number of Ethereum conferences. And the benefit of this is that, first of all, it's a mobile web page. As soon as you access the web page, it generates an Ethereum private key and holds it in local storage for you, right? So the whole key generation aspect of it has been essentially like taken care of and done for you. Um, the reason it's called a burner wallet is because the private keys are currently being kept in local storage. So it's not meant for like large value transfers and it's not meant to be held as like a permanent wallet. It's just something that you use one off, like it helps you onboard people. And if they get into it, then they could buy a hardware wallet and they could get more involved in the space, right? But the idea is that you now have a private key that's associated with your browser and then, okay, you have a private key, but you still don't have gas. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right? Yeah. So they... It's like, you, it's like you got a burner phone with no minutes on it. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You have to go like to the corner store and you got to put some money in it. Yeah. So the question is, is like, what if the person who hooks you up with... Um, with basically like the onboarding process also has a way to actually like subsidize your costs for, um, for your minutes. Right. Yeah. So your dealer gives you the phone and it's preloaded. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I watch too much wire. Like that's what the wire, if you ever seen that show. Yeah. But everyone knows the first hit is free, right? right. (laughs) There you go. It's exactly. Yeah. The first hit's gotta be free. I love that. Yeah. Okay. That should be the that should be the advertisement for meta transactions and F gas stations. Like that should totally be it. It's free. <laughs> and in, in essence, that's that's what it is, right? Yeah. Um, but like, think about it this way: if you do this on a layer two network, and you're the validator, essentially, you're paying your own mining fee. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So like literally the first hit is actually free. And most of the transactions, if you're working on a side chain, should be free. Right. Right. So the question is, is like, how do you actually get 
um, a wallet that you have no control over, that you didn't generate, that someone generated on their own phone, how do you get money and value to them? And right. the answer is through metatransactions. So they have this uh, process in which essentially they have relayers and you don't communicate directly with the Ethereum network. Instead, you communicate with a relayer and you sign a transaction, you send it to a relayer. The relayer essentially wraps your transaction in value. And once it gets actually posted on chain, what it does is it takes the funds from the relayer, but then it associates the ownership of the transaction and therefore the uh, value with the signature that has been signed uh, by By the the originator. Yeah. 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 So the problem with that that I knew is that they got this thing called the thundering herd problem, um, where uh, basically uh, everybody's going to try and always... Uh, take if you send it to like a relayer network and you're like okay um, my I want this transaction to get on the network the one that that pays the most everybody's gonna try and get that one onto the network first and so everybody's like trying to to, to get the max and it's reasonable for them to do so you know right. if you broadcast something that's gonna literally pay 2f which nobody would but you know it's a good example um, you know the whole network's gonna go holy shit that's 2f I am definitely I'm definitely gonna try and get that one onto the next block right um so so if if the relayers are essentially a decentralized network then the question is how do the relayers decide amongst themselves who's actually going to pay for the gas to get a transaction on board because if everyone tries then there's a bidding war uh in order to basically capture the entire value and then Mm -hmm. essentially they get no value because they spent it all on gas in order to win Right. right. And but, so this new stuff that I was looking at, like the was it EIP sixteen uh EIP sixteen thirteen? They're kind of flipping the problem on its head, aren't they? They're they're basically saying let the DAP decide what relayer what relayers to use, and then we just gotta like tell them what relayers are available. So I'm not perfectly I'm not exactly familiar with that EIP, but um, is it the one in which they essentially have a smart contract that holds the addresses of the relayers? Yeah, yeah. And so what they do is they, they kind of create a DHT, uh, d- uh, uh, distributed hash table. Okay. And 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 it's basically like a lookup table, like in right. Ethereum, where you can literally say, "Hey, here's all the possible uh, gas station relayers." Mm-hmm. And um, a DAP can choose based off of some reputation system also built into it, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is going to be massaged because those things always get massaged. Like, this is still in draft mode, dude. Like, there's yeah. no way this is going to look like this in the final version. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, they, they basically massage, uh, I'm sorry, not first. They basically uh, give some sort of reputation system for availability and, like, you know, volume of transactions process, that kind of thing, so that relayers can actually, uh, and probably the amount of stake the relayer has, because a relayer needs to stake, so they have an incentive not to be a jerk, um, and and basically allows people to, uh, the DAP developers themselves to choose who's going to be relayer on behalf of their decentralized application. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so it kind of flips like the problem on its head, basically. Um you know, like right now, if you were to choose a relayer as a user, you'd have to go out and choose the actual relayer and be like, I want to use this relayer. And then, you know, or broadcast it to a relayer network. 
But mm -hmm. um, the opposite situation is to take the decentralized application and engineer it in such a way that it chooses the best relayer on behalf of its users. Um, and then that, that allows the application to handle the incentivization model so that the users don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And I feel like that's an extra layer of abstraction in favor of decentralization over having the DAP themselves be the relayer, yep. um, which, I mean, it's arguable, well, right? Like the person the is already on your really... website, right? Mm -hmm. You're the one onboarding them, right? You also have to make the final decision on whether or not they're just like DDoSing you, right? And trying to mm -hmm. spend all of the gas uh, that you have available um, basically in order to onboard them. So right. then the question is, is that like, if you already are making, if you already have that much control, is it really that much of a sacrifice of decentralization? If you also are the relayer, mm -hmm. um, you can have it so that like the relayer themselves is in essence trustless because you, um, you're essentially forwarding the signatures of the users of your platform. But I also think that like, you, you have to take into account the fact that you could have a bunch of non-users who are just trying to spend down your available on-chain funds. Mm -hmm. And um, this is unsolvable, I think, on the main chain, unless yeah. you think of it as like a hierarchy, right? Because the first hit could be free, but it could also be so small that it doesn't cost you anything. And the only right. way that I could see that happening is that if you have like a layer two solution and what you're actually doing is you're onboarding someone onto your layer two. And then in order for them to essentially register anything on uh, the main chain, for example, like the Loom token does it. I don't think they use meta transactions because they're doing plasma and it's a little bit different, but it's a good illustration that in the Loom network, you have a game. If you play the game, until you finish it, then you qualify for actually having like actual representable tokens and unique items on their plasma chain. Mm -hmm. But for you to be able to transfer those tokens off of their plasma chain, you actually have to interact with their main net uh, validator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And essentially exiting their system will cost you money, but playing within their... Uh, layer two solution you could onboard someone and like once you give someone their items within their system if you do it in a similar design mechanism to the way that meta transactions work they still have ownership right yeah yeah like, yeah i i think i think what we're really facing here is is definitely the issue of how do we actually like um decide who is responsible for paying, and and that's what meta transactions is 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 attempting to solve. In that you got to be able to pass off the cost of things. There's a lot of ways to do that, like the Loom network you suggested is is using Plasma. But at the same time, if you want to exit the Plasma chain, I'm pretty sure you still need F. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So definitely. this would also be kind of a solution to that, mm -hmm. um, meaning that you know just to exit the Plasma chain or exit an asset or exchange an asset to another Plasma chain, you would need something that would actually. You know, and I'm not even sure you could do that because I haven't looked into what Loom's doing with regard to their game. Like, can you exchange assets off of their Plasma system? I don't know. Um, according to their um, their plans, I don't know if it's implemented yet, but according to their larger plans, you can. 
and okay. I've already got assets that are allocated to a specific address that I control. So I've already like withdrawn from the um, crypto zombies game. They have some rewards, and I've oh. technically claimed those rewards to a specific address but from my understanding it's not associated to the ethereum address because it's still on their plasma chain right that's that's what i'm kind of like wondering can you exit an nft and, and i know that that plasma cash is very very much kind of in that similar vein so i mean it's whatever um i i, I feel like um i feel like uh you know those are all great and all um but if we really want to create like a very general purpose system we're gonna need some way of like exiting and and not interacting with f for the average user so i mean i I just it's it's interesting to see these um these efforts for the the uh, gas stations come out um eip 16 uh 13 is pretty interesting um and the fact that you can they also have it depends on some other eip by the way which is basically the idea that somebody can execute signed messages um, on behalf of somebody else, which I think is EIP 1077. Um, and, and it basically is kind of like you can do proxy execution on behalf of people. So I, I think that's what that is. And so, yeah, those two things together would make some pretty interesting new paradigms, or it, actually it enables paradigms that already exist but in a more decentralized way. So I'm excited about it. And when you look at stuff like XDAI, uh, the, the burner wallet, I think it's great that they're running that. Um, I have some questions about that though. Um, and we're going to have Austin on my other program, hashing it out soon. Um, but uh, you know, the guy who, who created the burner wallet is the cool guy in the bow tie who's doing all the videos. Um, he, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of curious, like how do I get XDAI to begin with into my burner wallet? Um, how do I get die at all into that? Right. So I haven't played around with it yet myself. So I don't know. I could actually answer that because I've been watching. Uh, I've been watching this for a while, and I've been thinking about how it solves a lot of onboarding issues. Uh-huh. Um, but you're going to be able to ask him yourself. But essentially, what happens is they're using something called the POA network. Oh, okay. I'm um, familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah, and the POA network has a bridge contract. That connects a set of through a set of validators, um, a sidechain in which the base currency is Dai. Mm-hmm. So if you deposit Dai into the bridge contract on mainnet, then you can withdraw X Dai on the sidechain after a validator validates it. You could deposit and withdraw using the bridge contract. Oh, yeah. Okay. And XDAI is not actually DAI. It doesn't actually burn it off of the POA chain. It's basically like... It holds it. It holds it, right. It holds it. So it holds... like It's a one-to-one correlation between um, the actual amount of DAI locked up in the validator contract versus uh, the amount of XDAI in circulation. So that also means that the fee networks is actually like what pays for the validators to maintain the actual side chain and it's a factor smaller than anything that you would pay on ethereum mm. um so in a recap uh that i read from i think it was um at denver mm-hmm. they're basically using burner wallets for uh, paying for food at conferences and they were saying that like the total amount was of uh, transaction fees that were paid for the like hundreds of transactions for every meal purchase um, was like 
couple cents like good lord at most a couple dollars that's right? basically sales tax like less yeah. than sales tax like, it, that's it's not less bad. it was substantially less than sales tax it was yeah. such a negligibly small amount that i started thinking like oh wait like with a transaction cost that small and mm-hmm. in a still public and technically it's a permission chain because it's a side chain, but mm-hmm. it's still a public chain that anyone can essentially log into. They have a block explorer, mm-hmm. right? Um, built by the POA network in which you could follow transactions. So it's like a public side chain just with a, a private consortium of validators. Um, and, like the small amount of transaction costs just kind of opens a lot of possibilities in the fact that you could have um, you can have realistic onboarding to applications that don't have to extract a massive amount of value directly from users up front mm-hmm. in order to get them onboarded. Right. 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 So, so basically it's like, hey, I want to purchase die with my Visa card. Somebody out there offers a service for you to purchase Dai, yeah. and now you've loaded up a wallet that you can actually use and securely like have burner funds on, so right. they don't even have to know who you technically are, really. Right. Um, although they will still be able to trace that, I think. Um, Through Visa, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Except <laughs> but, for the fact that it's actually illegal to buy crypto with a credit card. I think that we're heading in that direction. I think there's a way to do it with like send wire fees are huge, but um, is it illegal to buy crypto with a credit card? Yeah, I'd Visa, and, Ma- Visa and Mastercard actually uh, banned it recently. If you, it was a uh, last Can I not year. Do it on Coinbase. It was right oh. when the price was starting to like dive. I mean, I can't. They eliminated it from Coinbase, and they, they like it's not it's not really an option anymore. Huh. Um, but the flip side of that is that like you could actually hold someone's payment in a side chain and not allow them to uh, withdraw it until after the contestation period for a credit card expires. Hmm. So imagine like you buy, so this is theoretical, and I think the real reason that this hasn't happened yet is legal, but I haven't really known for sure. The idea is that like you could sign up uh, to an app you could pay in cash. You can get a X die in a side chain, right? You mm-hmm. could do whatever you want within that side chain. However, um, you can't actually withdraw it anything that you do onto the main chain mm-hmm. until you actually uh, wait out the contestation period, which is like sixty days for most major credit cards, mm. right? Because like if you don't contest a charge after sixty days, then it's like uh, it has a different classification and it's less likely to be um, a given back, right? Mm-hmm. So like, think about it. If you have a gambling site, right? And so you can't really let someone gamble against someone else, but they could gamble against the house. If they put some money down with a credit card, they could gamble against the house, right? But they can't actually like cash out until they can no longer contest the fee from their credit card. Mm-hmm. It's just an idea, but it, it seems like something that's going to happen. Another idea that actually uh, Austin told me on Twitter, which I find fascinating, is the idea that you could set up recurring payments using meta transactions. Interesting. What does so, that look like? So instead of paying, like, let's say someone decides to sponsor this podcast and they don't mm-hmm. want to do it through Patreon, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't want to pay $120 straight up, but they'll pay $10 a month, 
Uh right? They have a subscription. So what they do is they sign a meta transaction that allows um, the relayer to essentially charge a specific address in Ethereum $10 at each month. Uh Uh Right? So you sign it once or 12 times. Well, (laughs) the question is, how do you do a month? It has to be like approximate. It's block. uh, Block time. Yeah, Yeah, it has to be block time. Like it's approximated, but yeah. It's, um, um, but that, that actually is really interesting and there were some podcasts that promised that they would implement that i haven't followed up with them um Hmm. but it's it's an idea um it's a pretty damn good idea actually right and there's no way to guarantee that the person pays out because they could always empty out their ethereum account except the alternative essentially is them paying 120 dollars straight up but it's locked up in a wallet and like they could choose to unlock it if they want to take their money back so like Mm -hmm. if they don't want to pay they won't pay Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know um but the idea is that you could still have access to your money but once it's like the end of the month then eventually um a $10 donation will be uh, taken out by a relayer that's been authorized to do so. Huh. I'm amazed at, so I just said, we just had maker on the program recently. Um, And I'm amazed at how stable die is like from a, from a, from a perspective of, of how, um, you know, like I've seen other attempts at stable coins and they just weren't great. Like they, they had to basically lock up a ton of money in a bank or get a ton of investors to basically try and peg the coin. Um, and it, it just doesn't work out. But my, I'm sorry, uh, Maker does it with a really decentralized, completely like trustless system using very simple oracles that they pull from so many, so many like sources that it would be almost impossible to game. Um, and they, uh, they, they've actually created a really stable like US dollar peg coin. Um, it's really interesting to me because when you see things like these meta transactions and the burner wallets and stuff, they're all using DAI. And the reason is because when you do this kind of stuff, you really, we are still in a fiat world mm-hmm. and we all do need some sort of like stable, uh, mechanism for payment. And, you know, frankly, cryptocurrencies, they're stable with, uh, against each other, meaning that F versus Bitcoin doesn't fluctuate any more than us dollar versus Euro and, you know, um, or the Australian dollar, but you know, but against fiat, they fluctuate quite a bit. And since everything is required to pay in fiat, um, it's it's just really interesting to me that everything's kind of going in this direction of, hey, we can make stable coins now, so why not match the U.S. dollar? Um, right. I mean, even Facebook's kind of getting into that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's I mean, uh, it's required talking because. We pretty much have to talk about it. The uh, Libra white paper came out yesterday. That's what I read it. Uh, it came out night. this morning at 7 a.m. or 5 a.m., I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I haven't read it either, so I'll only like tangentially talk about it because I'm I just third-party sources that I read um, that I trust enough to be able to like talk on it. And... I'm still catching up. It's, it's a lot to go over, you know. It, it, there's a lot of, you know... A lot of commentary and like within the first couple hours already and i still it's just so much to go over i'm not going to have enough to talk about right now on this personally but i think it's interesting that they're pegging it against a they used to call it global coin now it's libra but they're yeah. pegging it against multiple fiat currencies yeah there's a uh, actually like basically a derivative i i talked to someone at uh from maker back in um 
back at DevCon, and they mentioned that they were very interested not just on creating a basket of currencies, but a basket of assets in general. Mm -hmm. So um, when I asked him, I'm like, what is stable? Right. Because like if you're pegged to the U.S. dollar, you're as stable as the U.S. dollar, which let's be honest, they printed about eight trillion of them within the last 10 years. So um, the fact that it hasn't actually inflated is more because other countries printed even more. <laughs> right. 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 So there was like uh, the, that time of competitive devaluation right when the financial crisis hit. Um, but. The idea of having like a basket of currencies as the uh, definition of a global reserve currency actually goes back to, um, I think it was called the Bretton Woods. Uh, it was like the first post-war uh, negotiation in which John Maynard Keynes and uh, the U.S. representatives were essentially negotiating what the post-war peace will look like. Mm -hmm. And as you can tell, the United States was in a very, very good position uh, because oh, they said, Nixon, we don't. <laughs> because they said, well, Actually, gold like is safe at our Fort Knox, so <laughs> yeah. we'll have the dollar. And if you really want your gold, you could ask us nicely. Um, but once countries actually started asking for their gold in the 1970s, especially yeah. like Charles de, uh, Charles de Gaulle from France, the United States decided to drop the um, exchange rate between the dollar and the gold. And the U.S. dollar has essentially slipped very quickly in value since then. Um, but has the question, though? the original actual... They were kind of like on... We're not that far off from other currencies. Like we have good years and bad years, right? But we're not. We've never gotten really bad. Like, oh no, the United States is uh, the U.S. dollar is king, yeah, right? Yeah. All you have to do, all you have to do, national security, really. Right. Like, you bring down the U.S., you pretty much called all the debts, and that's not good. Um, yeah, but the U.S. dollar is also backed up by the U.S. military, so mm -hmm. it's not. Which is a weird thing, you know. Gunboat diplomacy is mm -hmm. what it used to be called. Um, yeah, it's it's very weird that that's that that's just the socially accepted norm. Um, but you know, uh, we don't have to worry about that in the future. I hope because we've got yeah. a better solution now. Um, it's is it so? Actually, it was John Maynard Keynes's original proposal, and it was called Bancor, not uh -huh. related to the cryptocurrency project Bancor, which has nothing to do with this. Uh, Bancor was actually the name of the global reserve currency that actually represented a basket of global currencies that would adjust based on uh, things like GDP and current account surplus. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. like because of China's growing importance in the world, the Bancor would grow to own more Chinese reserves. Right. So the interesting thing about this idea would be that what China has done thus far, which is artificially buy U.S. denominated um, assets in order to keep their own currency low, would uh -huh. have been impossible had we established a bank core, right? Because every time their economy would grow, especially right. their current account surplus would go, uh, grow, what would happen was their currency would appreciate. So what? Yeah, it's like <laughs> essentially what the United States was arguing against would have greatly helped reduce the massive discrepancy in the growth of various economies right worldwide well, we didn't want that we still don't 
Right, we're dicks. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I'm a patriot and I love my country, but we're fucking assholes sometimes. And like, like that's you know, I, I, I mean, I argue. So here's it. my deal. I'm just gonna let it out there. I'm worried about. I'm worried about Lee Remore, and I'm not worried about it. I was not worried about it, and now I'm looking at the people backing it and the cabal of Doctor Evils that support it, and I'm like, hmm, this yeah. doesn't look like it'll bode well. Um, and I don't. So here's the thing: is I don't want a WeChat in America. I don't. No, I don't. I don't either. want that. I, I don't think it's good for China either. I don't think. I don't think it's good for anybody. Right. And 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 I, it's not that I don't like the idea of having an app that you can do payments through and blah blah blah. Like that's cool and all, but like WeChat is basically the currency system. Right. You know, it's it, you know, it's it's the they way turned that people off, pay for things. Uh, they it's turned how you buy public the, transportation. They turned China. off the credit card machines in China. Yeah, so like this is really they, not they a good thing. They actually have credit card machines within their uh, public transportation system in which they turned them off. Right, like, right, because they well, this have is also not they good have if a you massive can't data a collection. Phone, man. Yeah, like, if you can't afford a cell phone, you got an issue. I guess you could probably still log in with your WeChat well, I mean, on the terminals there. They, but yeah. they make plenty of extra cell phones in China. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. What is it Shenzhen? Is it Shenzhen? Whatever that that yeah. the, the the city where they literally are just uh, a bunch of it's like it's like in every sort of fantasy novel or something. There's this gnomish city where yeah. there's all these builders who collect and like build stuff, and then they right like super tech like that's Shenzhen. Like there's all right. these people and all these spare parts laying around, so everybody's just fiddling with everything all the time. Exactly. It's yeah, it's hilarious. It's, being close to specific supply chains is like an uncomparable oh, yeah. advantage for hardware manufacturers oh, it's yeah. almost unfair honestly yeah. if you've ever f- followed no. some of the projects that uh started on kickstarter and before they finished fundraising there was already a chinese knockoff in production right <laughs> well we realized very early on i think that um microchips were mostly a manual labor task um that production and anything physical hardware it could be automated, but at the same time, there's still a huge human element involved with actually actually building them. The design well, assembly, aspect of it, I would say assembly. assembly. Exactly. So, well, they're not designing chips on right. on the uh, you know on the streets. There, they're building fake iPhones. Right? right. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And, and so, like, that's assembly work. And like, right. They have the parts to do some cool, innovative, uh, emergent shit. Meaning like, hey, you know, we've got this part lying around. I've got this part lying around. Let's put that together. Holy crap, I developed this new little product I'm going to sell in my store, like storefront right there. China will just steal it and make it a product or Apple will steal it or whoever. But the point is they got all these parts lying around. That's assembly. That's assembly work. It's a little different. Um, But like we're actually designing the software of the hardware, if that makes sense. We're actually the ones designing the chips for the most part. You know, Intel, Texas Instruments, I don't care, AMD. Nvidia, like they're they're all U.S. based companies. Well, some of them are Taiwan based now. That doesn't mean they're based. It doesn't. So, like, look. I okay. Our, the, Taiwan. The IP, Taiwan is probably closer to the United States than it is to China. Um, yeah, the IPs come just because. I they, probably they, shouldn't have said that publicly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, wait. You mean? Uh, I'm not afraid. Anyways. Well, they're Chinese. <laughs> they're China, if you ask China. But um. But, <laughs> but I but bet the they're really happy they're not China after the Hong Kong protests. <laughs> oh, no shit. But the, the point is, is that like we develop all this stuff in the United States. So we're a software-based company. We're a software-based economy. Um, and China's the hardware-based economy. Um, and so that's fine. That's a good balance there. 
It's the um, difference between service versus But anyway, we're really getting off a point. The point yeah. is, is that now Facebook is trying to create what looks to me like WeChat for the United States. And I don't think it's going to fly. It's not even that just the United States. Like They're probably going to try and market this to India, like you said mm-hmm. um, in chat yeah. earlier. Um, they're going to market this to... Uh, Africa, which, by the way, is a huge untapped market full of resources, not just mineral and, and, and whatever in land, but also human potential and human un- underutilized human intellect. Right. Um, you know, uh, they're going to market this to European nations. This will be very attractive to countries like Greece, um, who are in financial crisis, Venezuela. Mm. They already but have the, the euro, which is like. That doesn't matter, though. This whole thing's backed by multiple currencies. Right. right. So that's the problem with Greece is that they're, they're you know, the euro is doing great in Germany, right. but it's doing very poorly in Greece. And so, you know, if you want to hire cheap development, you go to Greece because there's a lot of people who are very smart who live in an economy that can't keep up with the European with, with Germany. Yeah. And so um, and so Europe, Europe's a bit more complicated in the sense that the they point. have free movement of people. Right. But they haven't really figured out free movement of money yet, mm-hmm. mainly because they haven't even figured out how a Internet company can pay taxes um, and be multinational in that sense. Mm. Right. So like they have a they have a lot of growing pains. And I Dude, agree that certain countries it's almost 20 years now, isn't it? Like Sorry? how long has the euro been out? Like almost 20 years? What year was it instituted? Uh, well, it depends because it's grown. So it ha- it's grown. When was it first signed? Like when was it first like implemented? Was it early 2000s or, or mid 2000s? I feel like it was early, but I, I might be wrong. Um, so it was probably early 2000s, but it was probably in the 19 and late 1990s in which it was first introduced. Yeah, it was signed um, then and then it was implemented early 2000s. Yeah, but they had um, but they had other treaties. So like they tried to slowly build into it right it's just that like they never fully implemented the political integration uh that they wanted so what they had was like like, going back to my point though and i'm sorry to cut you off because like we are still an ether podcast we're talking about how all this ties together and like we've got this great like system with with meta transactions and gas and onboarding which really really manifests and shows itself really well in things like make or die um, the MakerDAO with Dai and XDAI and these burner wallets, where yeah. they really, really, really can can manipulate you know, deal with U.S. dollar in a completely decentralized and trustless way. Right. And then you got this Facebook group over here with like all these banks supporting this global currency. And when I talk about Greece, what I'm saying is they're not just supporting the U.S. dollar. Right. All of these people are supporting what is a bucket of currencies. And from what right. I read from that, and I might be wrong because I haven't read yet. Um, yeah. the paper but from what i read on their announcements that's all that's like chinese yen that's like that's like you know the euro that's the u.s dollar it's a canadian dollar it's a, uh, i Australian didn't see dollar. i didn't see the chinese yen on there that might not be on there because we check. but the point is, is it that might not can, be on there because it's highly inflationary possibly yeah um so but i the think point this is, is that they got this bucket of like yeah, they're but... trying to basically build this the e-coin if you watch mr robot where they they back the entire world economy and that's good for people like Africa. It's good for people like Greece. Right. Because if they're getting paid in that instead of the whatever the fuck system that's bound by law that um, that uh, that uh, Germany has, then that's great. The problem is, let me let me flip it. 
It's good it's for not, the people. It's terrible for the governments. It's terrible for the people in the long run. And it is terrible for the governments too. No, no, people it's great for people because they're able to save uh, and they're able to hedge against the instability of their local countries, which is why I think blockchain has that. the hope of being egalitarian one day. It's not blockchain. currently, but it can. Libra is not blockchain. That's the thing I'm already finding <sighs> out. It doesn't look like it's actually using any decentralized technology whatsoever. In order to be a validator on it's it, it's using you, delegated proof of stake. It's Byzantine it, fault tolerant, yeah. basically. But yeah. like, who I cares? Know. So yeah. it's it's, uh, it's 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 using. Uh, you need ten million dollars just to be a validator. Like, it's using essentially the language of blockchain, but at the same time, it's doing it with the companies that everyone in the ecosystem are least likely to trust. Right. And so here's the, that's the thing that's kind of like throwing me off about this. Let's just say the world just goes along with this. And I'm sure they'll push it super hard. Like these guys are, 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 are not dumb. Um, when I started shit talking, like <laughs> government involvement, I suddenly had like an engineer show up on my viewed profile. Who's former like intelligence analyst. And now since April, 2019, he's working for Facebook. Um, so like this is kind of as a security engineer. So like I, I can tell you right now, this is kind of strange. And it's it's a little weird to look at all these people getting behind what is essentially not an actual cryptocurrency, but a fake fiat. And I'm worried that it will be pushed really hard and people will just adopt it. I know that's a it's no worries like a rocking chair, you know, it keeps you busy, but gets you nowhere. But when I see things like make or die, which are valid alternatives to this and, and just need a little more spit and polish to get it to where they need to. Um, I, I kind of feel like what's the fucking point, point of Facebook? Like, why are we doing this? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense unless you really had a authoritarian play here. So, one of the things that Make or Die has that um, that actually like it's almost too philosophical of a question to just drop on a conversation, but like Make or Die is over collateralized, right, by one hundred and fifty percent for Ether, yeah. which is relatively yeah. stable compared to other currencies, other cryptocurrencies, right? So if you actually have to put one hundred and fifty percent down in order to take out a hundred percent of the uh, equivalent value and die essentially you are at a competitive disadvantage than a closed system that is able to issue a one-to-one currency pegged token yeah it's so dumb i know but but like at the same time in practice in practice it is less efficient and this is something that within their paper, they didn't state that they were doing, but I can't help but connect it to previous examples that I've seen, including examples that I've seen in China. And it's that if someone borrows money in Libra coin, right, uh-huh. you are able to use Facebook's data and then you can actually take their social graph and then you can say their probable likelihood of paying back. I would argue that Facebook has more data on us than credit rating agencies. And think about it this way. Currently, Make or Die can't create credit. Right. Yes, technically, you are taking a loan on uh, collateral, 
but that is not credit. Right. Because it's not belief in you. It's uh, belief in That is ether. a very good point. That is a ridiculously good point. So the question is, is, is make or die money? If you define money as credit and debt owned by other people against your equivalent of money, then no. It is a hard-backed... It's more of like... Again, but that's we're thinking... See, this is the thing that I have a problem with. Yeah. One of the problems that, that we were trying to eliminate is rent-seeking behavior. And rent-seeking economies, and there is nothing more like that than a credit-based economy. Now, I'm not saying you can't do credit and stuff like that, but collateralized credit is way like more interesting to me than than say a you know a credit rating or a credit score. You know, it just doesn't okay. seem like that that to me. It, but to it's me also that... the least useful for people in developing countries. But. So is credit. If you can't pay back the interest, you've got you're basically caught in an interest loop. So well, you, for sure, example, for but at example, the same time, you can loans. actually create wealth payday by loans. It's an borrowing. example of of slavery through um through credit. What is? Payday loans. Like you're right. basically never going to pay that down, so you know Unless, they constantly Well, I mean, you can pay it down. You can, I think the problem you... with payday lending is the fact that if they were more credit worthy, yeah. then they would be able to get a lower interest rate. So the yeah. problem with payday loans isn't necessarily the fact that you're giving poor people unsecured loans, because believe it or not, most payday loans are actually secured. The most oh. common form of payday loan is the paycheck, right? right. But the problem is, is the fact that for is the interest rate and the desperation of the people who need it. That's the problem. So you take this into a developing world setting and then you have people who don't have land titles to their right. farm. So yeah. they can't get securitized loans. Okay, well then right. let's flip this back on your head. You said that Facebook has more information that would allow us to determine what credit scores is. Yes. None of those people are using Facebook. That's not true. There well, are I'm 2 saying billion that to plus a, to people a, on Facebook. To a significant less degree, the people you are talking about that you want to, you're saying that this would uplift are not techno savvy or you know going to be using facebook on the de degree that we are currently at or i mean i know that so, places like certain places like i think it's nigeria are using um you know um cell phones as basically uh their way to access banking right um it, and i get that true yeah they're i get that they're using something called m-pesa um right. specifically in nigeria it got bought by vodafone but essentially it was like a crypto payment system that used sms uh -huh. um, but the idea is like a lot of people already are using Facebook in the developing world a lot more. Some people can't actually differentiate between Facebook and the Internet in the developing world because Ooh. Facebook, through their Internet.org, subsidized broadband. So you don't actually have to pay um, for the data that you use if you're using a Facebook product. Right. <laughs> This is so scary like, then. So what you're saying is that it's like we should take this very seriously. Oh yeah. And, and that's the danger here because <laughs> oh, I don't, yeah. we're talking the, about people who literally were able to game elect or you know, they are they have the power to game elections. We yeah. we're talking about the, the death of democracy in my mind here because I don't believe that we're we've got like a a lot of like once we give them power of the money, we've basically given them all the power. I am worried. Um but at the same time, when it comes to money, it's also about what are their alternatives, right? So if 
Facebook creates a better alternative for people whose current system of lending revolves around microfinanced with very high interest loans. It's kind of like the equivalent of payday lending being your only source of income because they are unbanked, right? So if you, the only thing worse than like banks is not having access to them. Right. So it's like a necessary evil within our society. And here's the thing. The way the Facebook's paper does not lay out a plan to incorporate lending. Right. They want to be a dollar pegged currency. But the thing is, is that once you go down that slope, no matter what type of like nonprofit setup they have in order to anonymize users of the digital currency, the fact that you have such a treasure trove of people using you people are going to voluntarily give up their privacy in order to get better interest rates so yeah i'm I'm very concerned about this this is not so this is not good for the world it's just i've i've actually already seen startups they were targeting college age kids i saw it in europe um so i'm not sure if it's in the united states but i saw people targeting college age kids with the equivalent of unsecuritized predatory loans Mm -hmm. that are based off of your social graph Mm -hmm. so if your friends are rich you are more likely to be able to pay back a high interest loan Mm -hmm. i've seen more extreme examples of things like this for example in china i have to find the article but this is kind of like inflammatory this is why i remember it Uh, In China, people were making loans based on social payments, but they would have collateral, like they would have dirt on you. I heard examples in which they would have nude pictures of people as collateral, Mm -hmm. social collateral, to pay back loans. I've heard of that. And it's like, so Libra, as it is presented now uses so much of the phrasing the ideology of blockchain itself but when you actually think about the institution of it like the best way it's not it's not it's it's not decentralized it's completely centralized it uses the the phrasing it uses a lot of the ideology um and then i mean if you read their white paper there's already a line in that says we're competing with cryptocurrencies exactly they're not. Yeah. They know they're not cryptocurrency. They know they're not blockchain. They know they're not. Yeah. They are basically a distributed ledger technology, which is fine. I don't. Have but a who cares with that. what they call it? I, I'm just trying to say, like the what it does eventually can be antithetical to cryptocurrencies, but at the same time, it could be incredibly powerful and it could do things that cryptocurrencies can't. Right? Like die will never work in a negative collateral setting unless they incorporate identity ratings there is another way unless they basically tie into if there's a fed coin what's up if there's a fed coin it's the only if there's a only if if the government just says okay we're going to switch to our own dlt um we're going to create fiat but it's going to be on this coin basis like really, there's no need for Maker at that point. You have open transaction systems, the benefits of of Facebook Coin, but without all the evil shit baked in, um, <laughs> and and it's produced by people who are appointed by 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 
uh, elected officials. You know what I mean? And that's that's the thing right. that bothers me about this is that the reason I'm looking at this is like a fascist corporate takeover of of the world. And I know I don't mean to be like all all like Che Guevara here, but like let's face it, that's what it kind of looks like on the surface. Is because uh, I don't know if Che Guevara is a good example. He's kind of a dick, but anyway, um, you know what I mean. I don't I don't yeah, I don't want to yeah. sound like I'm that guy because I'm actually not. Um, but I look at this and I go, okay, look at these people actually involved in this. Like, you know, they are, they are some MasterCard and Visa are involved in this. Why is that not antitrust? I don't know. Um, you got the least trustworthy platform provider in, um, in, uh, Zuckerberg. Goldman um, Sachs is their banking partner. <laughs> isn't JP Morgan I, also involved in this in some uh, fashion? I have to check actually. Yeah. I so just like, realized this, once this I said Goldman Coinbase, Sachs, PayPal, I, I mean, these are... PayPal that's created Pay. created by goddamn Peter Thiel, who thinks that monopolies are God. Really, honestly, though, I think he was trying to say category kings, but that's a different story. Um, uh, Peter Thiel isn't involved with PayPal anymore. He got oh, come bought on. out. Did he, he has no he has no shares left in the company whatsoever? Well, he's no longer. Is he on the board? CEO. <laughs> is he board? Is he on the board? I don't know. I, but I would be shocked so. if he's not on the board. I'd be um, shocked if he still was because they got bought out. Ah. Uh, Anyway, the point is, uh, I, don't know, I don't know. You also leave da, 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 Mithril Capital, Claro Capital. No, doesn't look like he's a board member. He's a board member of Facebook, though. He is. <laughs> there you go. Um, so my point is, is that you got these people who are just like very, very, very authoritarian. Um, and in the way that they, 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 they think of themselves as libertarians, but in the essence of it, they're actually authoritarians. Right. And and it's it's very interesting to me to see these people these deluded, you know, deluded themselves into thinking that this is the way, mostly because I feel like they just want to circumvent the U.S. government, and and it's funny to me because I really feel like although as much as I have a love hate relationship with the U.S. government, and that they do stuff I don't like all the time, and I get really frustrated with the election processes and and how and how our system is organized needs a severe revision, just because we haven't looked at it in so long, you know, I mean. I get it. Constitutions need to be needs to have some sort of chutzpah, and that they need they take a great deal to to revise. But at some point, I really do think we need to look at it again. Um, not every twenty years, like Thomas Jefferson proposed. Uh, but like the point is, is that um, I feel like um, this is more of a, a play to sort of circumvent the U.S. government in some ways. In that this is a coin which is literally trying to make itself a new standard, and it's not being seated in its oversight by anybody who is involved in any way with an election of representatives of the people. Well, I mean, it's weird that uh, you, as a self-professed hater of fiat, would argue for a the Federal fiat Reserve. token. Well, the thing is, is that the problem I have with fiat is that it's willy-nilly printed. Not exactly. And the other problem I have with it is the fact that we don't know where it all is. Well, I mean, I'm all for not knowing. I'm not, I'm, I would rather no know, one know where it is. Do you know if anybody <laughs> I would rather. Write I would rather a central currency that had less control from a governing body than one with more. And I would rather um, a more opaque yeah. financial system for individuals, but more transparency at a higher level. I think right. one of the major problems is the fact that, for example, um, it's really difficult to uh, trust um, 
generally accepted accounting practices because companies have been able to, I don't know, use transfer pricing to move profits overseas or um, basically hide assets from their balance sheet using uh, mark-to-market like methods of pricing derivatives. I think that it's we've become very opaque at like the very upper echelon of where uh, banks are being governed. I always hoped that blockchain could like represent yeah. a more uh, transparent management yeah. at a certain level of uh, of the economy. And I don't like I. I don't know enough about Libra yet to decide whether or not it is the WeChat of America or, or if it is a uh, an honest representation of ideals of blockchain. But I can definitely... I can tell you the reactions I'm seeing from very credible people like are unanimous, by the way. Like I, if they're business oriented, if they're like some sort of business shill or whatever, or if they're associated with, they love this shit. But if you look at the people who are actually developing this technology, they go, "What the fuck is this garbage?" We're like, in a filter bubble. We but that's, are those on are the people a that blockchain matter to me. podcast. That's what you got to understand. I know. I get these it. The, these are the people that actually are doing the work. Right. These are the engineers. These are the people who've been theorizing about this stuff since two thousand. Well, before then. You know, like before all of this came along, these are the people who've actually been actively working and saw firsthand issues in, in, in banking systems. I get it. And I they also built think... Ethereum and they built Bitcoin and they built Monero and they built Zcash and they're looking at this stuff and they're building status and they go, what the fuck is this? Like, I'm what the... sure that we are all <laughs> deeply troubled, but at the same time, we have one of the fangs Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. We got one of those to build their own cryptocurrency. And of course, it's going to be a big deal and a huge issue. Um, I'm playing devil's advocate in the sense that we only know a sliver (laughs) of how this is going to turn out. Sorry, say it again. Your optimism disgusts me. (laughs) It's not, it's not even optimism, to be honest. I know, I know. You're not being full Pollyanna, but you are looking on the bright side of it. There are there are potential benefits um, because with technology, nothing's really like cut and dry. It's always how it's used. And I have to admit that the wording that I have seen from the white paper is trying to reflect some of the values of the blockchain ecosystem. But I don't trust the institution doing it and implementing it. So regardless of how independent they call their consortium it doesn't mean i trust the other institutions involved as well um, I like a funny, the joke I a saw funny on... post that i'm going to butcher in saying it is like oh great we now have um a blockchain cryptocurrency that's as decentralized as visa uh respects your privacy like facebook um <laughs> is this from labor reserve Uh, is is as um what's it called trustworthy Uh, censorship resistant as paypal (laughs) (laughs) i read that i was like that is hilarious the i i liked uh i like the one they said uh libra reserve by the way if you guys are not following that twitter it's hilarious libra reserve reserve it's It's hilarious um but it's a parody account by the way so it's not actually libra's account it's a parody twitter don't ban them they're great um but it's a, uh, it's a, uh, what was it? Um, 
crap, I was even going to, I had it almost out and then, then you did your joke, but it's just, to me, it's just so silly that, that, that this is even like on the table. Like we have so many better options in the works. Like, uh, uh, better is relative. We're definitely going to have a new option soon. Um, I don't see the, I don't see this stuff lasting. I, I, I feel like global calamity will, will bring us to our knees and when the infrastructure collapse and the world dies and we also come to the thousands, many waters of the wealthy glaciers and everybody's buried in a sea and living on islands and it's, it's water world and whatever. And we're, we're all spending own, Facebook coin. We're drinking our own piss like Bear grills. <laughs> we're going to switch to Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> it'll Definitely be, it'll be it a little late then because there won't be enough energy to mine it and mine it securely. Fuck you, we'll have solar panels because Elon Musk would have done the pre-work. Um, I I would use my solar panels for uh, water desalination, but that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll be bartering jugs of piss. Uh, (laughs) That's that's going to be our currency. I'll give you a liter. I'll work on growing some gills. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, so uh, we have gotten way off track here. This this has gotten extremely long for this show, and I suspect since I'm on it, uh, we're going to be long every time. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, we have not talked a whole lot about ether, but it is a kind of a smooth transition from the, from what we were talking about. So it makes sense and it's topical, but yeah. I think ether, I think something like an, a movement like ether is ultimately going to have to win for, for, for just sanity reasons. Uh, I don't, we'll I don't think what they're proposing is sane. We'll see. I mean, yep. they're going to open source their code supposedly. So even if they do have interesting implementations, then uh, we can always just copy pasta. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Apple open source their OS. We still can't virtualize it. I didn't know that. Well, Anyways. they did. They might not be open source anymore. They had to because it'd be a DSP license. I mean, um, they might have open sourced their Mac OS, but they definitely didn't open source iOS. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But anything using BSD needed to be, I think, open sourced. And I think they had to open source at least the parts that they used. Hmm. So anyway, the point is that uh, maybe not. Either way, something can be open source, but not open source. Yeah. You know? You know, if but they I decide think... what goes in and out of that open source project, that's not open source. That's not a free open source system. That's a, hey, now you can at least check our work. Oh, by the way, the actual binaries might not do this kind of thing. Right, or, right, right. You know, like uh, IOTA does. <laughs> yeah. So, Great. I, I, I don't know. But it yeah, was no, uh, good talk. Yeah, it was good talking to you as well. Um, yeah. And well, we'll see. Be on next week as well. Yeah, we'll see. Today is a very strange day for crypto. This week. <laughs> has been weird it's, yes it's very weird yeah. yeah we'll see how it plays out yep. and uh, i look forward to talking to you next time cool okay see ya